The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Heavenly Father, we want to humble ourselves before you, remembering that you're the living God, creator of heaven and earth. You designed us, you save us, you've spoken to us. So now, Lord, we want to hear your word. And so uh, I pray for your Holy Spirit to help me, help me to teach this faithfully, clearly, that you be pleased, Lord, with what I say. And, and we pray together as a local picture of your, of your body, of your family, a church. We pray, Lord, that we would have not just an understanding of what you've said, but a delight in what you say, that through Jesus Christ, we would humble ourselves, turn to you, um, be thrilled with your salvation for us, and become more like you. Love what you love. Do what you tell us to do. Uh, we pray this would occur for your glory and for our joy in you, for the good of our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing our study through the Ten Commandments, main reason being God himself our creator, our Lord has spoken these for our good, for our freedom. We are in the second section of these commandments, which is particularly, particularly about loving your neighbor. And today we're on number six, short and sweet, incredibly profound. You shall not murder. And our society needs this, doesn't it? We remember the school shooting in Texas, awful beyond words. There's more than that. 12 major cities of our country have broken their annual homicide records in 2021. That's after the country's murder rate rising 30% between 2019 and 2020. According to the FBI, it's the largest single-year jump since the Bureau began recording crime statistics. We are an angry people, and we feed that anger continually. In a recent interview, uh, the police chief of Indianapolis said, we've had cases where people have been killed because of something they posted on social media. We've had people killed over parking spots. Then he said, this is my 34th year in law enforcement. A lot of things have changed. It's different lately people say. So our society needs this. You shall not murder. And yet as much as we're concerned by these headlines, and we should be, I think there's a way in which they're kind of generally distant from our everyday lives. And, and for instance, I, I trust, I hope everybody in here would say, yes, murder's wrong. And of course, none of you, right? None of you have any plans to be murdering anyone, and, and if you do, let's talk, okay? But, but as a community, we'd say, yeah, that's, that's evil, but here's what we tend to do. It's, it's easy for us to think that the command is mainly something we wish other people would listen to. I, I wish my society would listen to this, and good, me too. I wish that as well. But you know, it's so easy, right? It's easy for me. It's easy for us. It would be easy for me to preach a sermon right now to a bunch of people who aren't actually going to listen to it. 
I could, I could, could decry all these things out there towards a bunch of people that aren't actually going to listen to it. I guess here's my, com- I, here's my question. Do you need this command today? Do, do you need to be exposed by this command today? Do you need to be challenged by this command today? Because let's, let's hear the word like it's for us this morning. And so I think as we see, uh, the net this command spreads goes wide and the sword this command swings goes deep right into our very hearts and uh, none of us gets out alive. So I can't possibly hope to cover all the implications of this command this morning. They are many, but I do want us to see four main things. This will be kind of the progression of our thought this morning. Number one, we need to see the all-important reason for this command. There's a foundation to it. We've got to see that. We've got to treasure that. Number two, we're going to think of some of the implications of this command, especially in its own context, when it was written, Exodus 20. Number three, maybe most important, we're going to see how Christ fulfills this command. We've said it many times, the Ten Commandments ultimately are a portrait of the beauty of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's ever actually done these things in perfection. So we want to see how he fulfills it. And then number four, we're going to just think of some of the ways we are to keep the command, especially as followers of Jesus Christ. What does it mean for me and you, because of Christ and what he's done for us, to keep this command, to delight in this command? So that's what we're going to do. The reason for the command, implications of the command, how Christ fulfills the command, some of what it means for us to keep the command. Number one, the all-important reason for this command. Just remember the context a little bit. It's important to remember that this command was originally given to people just recently delivered from brutal slavery. That's interesting, isn't it? This group of people first hearing this command, they had been enslaved by a powerful empire that considered their lives to be worthless. They were nobodies. Their only value was to serve Uh, the needs, the desires of others. They were slaves with no rights to speak of. And we know from the story in Exodus, Pharaoh even ordered infanticide. You remember? Kill every baby Hebrew boy. After all, he was a son of the gods. And it was his right and his choice to do so. So who's going to stop this tyrannical Pharaoh from abusing these people like this? There was no one except God himself. And God stepped in and delivered his people with a mighty hand. And then as God brings these people to himself, set free from slavery in Egypt, he demands that they now see people like he sees people. So the background even to the Ten Commandments is the whole Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right? Deuteronomy, it's all part of this same story. And God has told his people how they are to see others in Genesis chapter 1. So let's remember Genesis 1, 27. These are some of the most important words that have ever been or ever could be. Genesis 1, 27. God created man, what's that next phrase? In his own image. This changes everything if you believe this. 
This changes everything. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is foundational to our existence. We are male, we are female, and we are made in the image of God. So if you just think about how the Ten Commandments work, the first four commands were about having no other gods and honoring God in every way you can think of, right? No other gods before me, worship me the way I say, honor my name, rest in me, those first four commands. And now we get to the sixth command, and here's the implication. If you honor God, you'll honor human life because human life is made in the image of the God you honor. So why do you deserve dignity, value, and respect? And we, we could look to all these demographics, ethnicity, age, economic status, moral perfection. No, no. Why is human life valuable? Is, it fundam- is the value of human life fundamentally in any of these human distinctions? No. It's irrelevant to the conversation. Every single human being is valuable and worthy of dignity because he or she is made in the image of God. And so if you love and honor God, you will love and honor his image in others. And to the point that we don't love and honor his image in others, it shows. What does it show? We don't quite love God like we thought we did. It's powerful, right? And so this truth, Genesis 1, 27, this is, this is the only, I think, this is the only firm foundation for human rights. And without this standard, human rights just comes down to which group has power. So we look at human history and one group of people will say another group of people is less valuable based on what have you. It's true of slavery. It's true of genocide. It's true with abortion. There's a powerful group. They define another group of people. They're not as powerful. And so then if you do that, then you have the rationale for abuse. So if there's going to be human rights, it's more than just who has the power. It comes down to this design and creation. We're made in the image of God. And so you'll notice this command doesn't have any caveats to it. It doesn't say no murder unless it's a slave. It doesn't say no murder unless it's someone from another ethnicity or unless they're really old or not yet born or if it's your enemy you, doesn't, you don't really like. There's no caveats. It's just you shall not murder because humans are made in the image of God. And so that ought, that ought to blow us away, right? Because l- let's be honest, be careful how much I confess about myself. Are you ever just deeply annoyed by human beings? And you think, oh my gosh, joy would be to get away from this. And, or, or have you ever noticed yourself uh, realizing someone you were around or nearly connected to was special? Have you ever had that moment where you met one of your heroes? The, the, the kid gets to get a ball from Mike Trout, and that ball is more special than if uh, you gave them the baseball. Okay, I get the point, right? He's the best baseball player ever. But, but look, what, what did you do? 
What did you do? There's certain kinds of people based on what you value, based on whatever it is you value. Oh, that person, whether it's a celebrity or, or what have you. Oh, that person. Wow, to, to be near that person or to come close to that person, that's an honor or special. And then you forgot every single person sitting next to you is made in the image of God. It's shocking that you get to sit there next to other people. And, and you are one. C.S. Lewis unpacked this, I think, in a beautiful way. Look at this, his quote from his work, The Weight of Glory. Lewis says, there are no ordinary people. You never talk to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. It is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. He continues, this does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. People are made in the image of God. And that's the foundation behind the command, you shall not murder. Okay, some implications of this command. Some Bible translations will actually read, thou shalt not kill. But I think grammatically and contextually, that's just a terrible translation. It, it doesn't fit in any way, shape, or form. It's worth taking just a couple moments to briefly mention some of what this command does not prohibit. In other words, there are many things here. You, you could think the command com prohibits that is actually not considered murder. So here's a few. This command does not prohibit a soldier or a police officer doing his duty if necessary. It's a different category. It would not be considered murder. It does not permit or prohibit just war in certain cases. This command does not prohibit self-defense in certain cases, when you or your loved ones are in danger. We could have long conversations about what makes each one of those just or unjust but, unjust, but I'm just telling you from the very scriptures of the Torah, there's no way you can argue that this command prohibits all of those things. It simply doesn't. It also does not necessarily prohibit capital punishment. Again, it would be quite fair to debate whether or not capital punishment could happen justly in our time or our context, our day. That's not my point this morning. I'm just saying you can't say from context that this command prohibits all capital punishment. And I think it's worth seeing why. Look at Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. But well, why? For God made man in his own image. So again, my argument, I'm not talking about what's just or fair for our context, our situation, our country. That's not my point this morning. But see, see, the, see the logic here. Um, the, the point is not to devalue the life of the criminal. In Old Testament thought, justice is meant to be restorative. So if you steal somebody's cow, 
You don't pay for that by going to jail for 20 years. You give them a cow. You restore what you did. You heal it, you fix it, you pay it back. What can you give if you take a life? How can you possibly pay that back? And so justice is supposed to fit the crime. But you see here, the point being, is not to devalue the life of the criminal, but to highlight the value of the victim. That person is made in the image of God. Okay, we thought a little, about, a little bit about what the command does not necessarily prohibit. Let's see what it does prohibit. You study this word used for murder, and, and I'm just gonna repeat this definition twice. This command does prohibit actions that lead to the destruction of human life through malice, carelessness, or negligence. It prohibits actions that lead to the destruction of human life through malice, carelessness, or negligence. Just like in our country, we'd have a difference between first-degree murder and all sorts of different ways people are, are killed. We want, there's justice issues on all the context of these things, right? Old, the, the Old Testament law, it sees that as well. But this, this word murder, it, it holds all of that in a category. You did not value human life through malice, carelessness, or negligence. So let me give you one application in the Torah. Look at Deuteronomy 22.8. When you build a house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall in it. So in the ancient world, you hang out on your roof. You can get the cool of the air, a nice view, whatever. If you're gonna build a house and you're gonna hang out on the roof, the law says, what do you need to put around your, on the edge of your roof? You, you put a fence up. And why would you do that? So somebody doesn't fall off and die. And this is in the law. You bring guilt on yourself and on your house if you don't do this. That's fascinating, isn't it? That's an illustration of how this law is supposed to play out. When you make future plans, when you build things, when you're doing something, you need to take into account the value of other people and how this might affect them. So this command, this would act, this command would actually uh, prohibit reckless driving. It would certainly prohi- prohibit drunk driving because you're making these choices where you, just, you don't care about other people's value, even if it's without malice. Uh, you're not valuing human life. So then you you begin to see, right, this net spreads wide. It's not just don't hate someone and physically end their life, though, of course, it includes that. But it's far deeper because it's talking about the value of human life and our call to honor and respect the value of that human life because we honor the God in whose image these people are made. Well, I told you the sword of this command goes deep into the heart. Let's see now how Jesus applied this command. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 and just a little context. The religious professionals of Jesus' day were passionate about the law, right? We've got to keep the law. We've got to heal our society. The way we do that is to get passionate about the law. But even more passionate than they were about the law, they were passionate about believing that they had kept the law, which is two different things. 
And that means they had to work hard to keep the law doable. Because if your identity is based on how you've kept the law, that means you got to soften the law so that you can say you kept it. Am I right? Do not murder is a lot easier in a sense than love your neighbor as yourself. So they soften the standard of the law and Jesus wanted to address this. So maybe you could look at the command and be like, do not murder. Sweet, I kept one. I've never physically ended someone else's life. I'm righteous, finally, check. That's what the Pharisees of Jesus' time said, did. Now look what Jesus does, if you dare. Are you sure you wanna read this? Matthew 5, 21, you have heard it said, it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to, you tell me, the hell of fire. These are sober words. And what Jesus is doing here is he's not happy with just an external obedience to the command, like the worst case scenario. He says, no, God wants obedience to the command all the way and all the way down in the core of who you are, okay? So he's then saying this tree, it, it's, it's I'll use the illustration of a tree, okay? It's like a tree growing up, and when the tree grows up, it's physical murder. But that thing is growing from a seed in here, okay? And that seed is the seed of contempt. It's contempt. What's contempt? It's the feeling that a person is beneath consideration worthless or deserving of scorn. And so, okay, maybe it's not the tree full grown where you're stabbing people, but from the heart, when you feel contempt for someone, that's the seed of murder. It's the heart of murder. And then Jesus says, this murder tends to be displayed and expressed. Did you see it? in anger and verbal insults. Did you see that? Anger and verbal insults. So when you feel contempt for someone and you're raging in anger and it shoots out of your mouth, deep insults, you fool, you idiot, you you're despising this person, you just committed murder from the heart. It's that serious. And, and you see, Jesus is not joking because if he, he says, if when you're raging in anger like this and when you're talking like this, you are liable. That means you're guilty. And he said, when you say, you fool, you're liable to the hell of fire. Jesus, isn't that a little strong for anger and hard words? See, God sees into your heart. And he sees how you've demeaned his image in others. And he sees how as you demean his image in others, you're demeaning him. Christians, when you feel contempt towards other people, 
and you're outraged with them and you insult them, you're demeaning the God you claim to love. So like I said, the net, spread wide, the net spreads wide and the sword goes deep. Anybody in here here, you're like, I've still kept this command, okay? Who's, who is righteous on their own when they look into the law of God? And here we each have to say, in some way, I'm a murderer. By this standard, I'm a murderer. Why are we like this? Look at Mark chapter 7, 20 to 23. Mark 7, 20 to 23, Jesus said, it's what comes out of a person that defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Just by the way, he just, that's the Ten Commandments, right? He's rocking through them. Your disobedience to the Ten Commandments comes from in here. Verse 22, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from where? Within. And they defile a person, which means you have no excuse, right? Isn't that what it means? You have no excuse. You cannot blame your background. You cannot blame your oppressive society. You cannot blame tough circumstances. You knew how you wanted to be treated by others, not with contempt. And you've treated others with contempt, and the problem is your heart. Uh, Christianity calls it the flesh. It's this pride we're born with, our total depravity. We do not love God, and we do not love our neighbor. We are self-oriented, this inclination, that's uh, the breaking of the law shows us the darkness of our hearts. So here we are now sitting here. I'm a murderer and I have a dark heart that hates God. And that's biblical truth about us left to ourselves. And so now what do we need? I need a savior. I fundamentally need a savior in every way. I just got exposed that I have no righteousness on my own before a holy God. I'm broken. I'm, I deserve to go to hell. Do you know that in your heart yet? Have you felt the reality of that yet? You deserve God's wrath. It's a hard place to get to when you don't want to believe it. The heart wants to cling to this. Well, I'm not as bad as, it's not the standard. It's not the standard. When you realize I'm guilty, it's a terrifying place to be, but it's a good place to be because now it leads you to Jesus. That's, that's the main thing the law is supposed to do. It's meant to lead you to Jesus, to where your heart says, save me. And so now we see how Jesus fulfilled the law. I love how the 10 commandments is ultimately a portrait of Jesus Christ. Israel was God's son. And so the commands from the father, this is how my son should look. And of course, Israel failed in every way. And they're a parable for our own minds and hearts. 
We failed in every way. But now there's this one, Jesus, the true son of God, the eternal son of God who took on flesh. And he keeps the law with perfection from the heart, in his mind, with his mouth, in every way. He continually gave himself up for the good of his neighbor, even the good of his enemies. He touched the lepers. He welcomed the vile of society. He welcomed anyone who would come and trust in him. And he gave himself up even for his enemies, people like me and like you. And, and you remember, right? Even at the cross, what is he saying? Father, forgive them. Jesus was murdered. He knows what it's like to be murdered. He knows what it's like to be treated like he has no value. He knows what it's like to be held in contempt, to be treated like trash, to be treated like refuse. He knows what it's like. Uh, he even, the crowd, the, the crowd said, give us Barabbas instead of Jesus. Barabbas, who was a murderer. And so Jesus took his place and it's just, it's, it shows us what's happening at the cross. He was murdered. And he was also taking the place of murderers. He was taking the place of murderers. He was treated like 10 million murderers deserve to be treated on that cross. He was treated like he had despised the image of his father in others, even though he never had. He was treated like I deserve to be treated for my murder of God's image from my heart towards others. He took our place. It just helps you. Don't you just esteem Jesus as you think of this? The beauty of his life, his, the epic payment he made on the cross for his people. And then he rose from the dead. And that displays the power of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Here's the good news. In Jesus, even a murderer can be completely forgiven and counted as totally righteous before God. So we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus. We are promised that we receive as a gift the perfect righteousness of Christ counted to us. So even we who have hated God, hated our enemy, we could be counted righteous before a holy God because we wear the righteousness of Christ. He took our sin, gave us his perfection. It's such sweet news. The apostle Paul loved this news. He was a murderer. He had pursued Christians to the death. And he said in 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Oh, praise God, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He earns our forgiveness. He brings us in as children of God. We're counted righteous in him. And of course, this begins to solve that core problem. What's your core problem? Your heart. It's through seeing Jesus Christ, trusting in him and what he's done. That changes your heart. 
It's a heart change. It's at the core, it's a heart change. Where now because of Jesus and what he's done for you, the Holy Spirit applying that gospel to you, you believe that, you know how filled with a, with a new desire to love and honor your Father in heaven and to be willing not only just to not cause harm to other people, but to, actu- to actually sacrifice yourself for the good of your enemy. Because that's what Jesus did for you. You will never do this or never want to do this without a treasuring of the gospel itself. Don't even try. There is no moralism that can get you to deeply love your enemy from the heart. But if you see what you deserve and you see what Jesus did for you and you're amazed by his love, there, yes, there comes a new desire to where you see even, even in the person where I'm tempted to despise them the most, They still wear the image of God. And I'm willing to love and serve them for his sake. And so then, because Jesus fulfilled the law for us, we want to move into obedience for it, right? This is supposed to be our desire, the new covenant. God writes his law on your heart. This should be a treasure to you to keep this command. So now I want to think of some ways to follow Jesus in keeping this command. And you could go on forever. I promise I won't go on forever, just a little shorter forever. I'm kidding. But I am going to give you seven highlights. That's all they are, highlights. But I'd ask you just as you're sitting there to pray and ask God to show you a fundamental way you need to move towards keeping this command. Ask the Lord, how do, how do I need to move towards keeping this command? And I know, I know it's easy, right, to think of, how our society needs to move towards keeping this command. That's fair, they do. But who are you ultimately most responsible for? Right? So ask the Lord for this moment, how can I move towards keeping this command? I'll give you some suggestions. I need to keep all of these. Number one, let's just follow Jesus' pattern there and what he said in Matthew. Number one, check your contempt. Check your contempt. I think we each have groups of people we are far more prone to offer compassion and dignity to, right? There's a group of people in your mind that tends to be oppressed or mistreated and your heart hurts for them and you, you want to speak for them. And that's good. I'm not devaluing that in any way, shape or form. But we'll just do the flip side now. There's a group of people you are tempted to continually, continually feel nothing but contempt towards them. Am I not right? Come on. You, you are tempted to despise them. And you have decent reasons for why they are wrong. And maybe you're 100% right that they are 100% wrong. Do you see Jesus' words? He says, that gives you no excuse to feel contempt for them as human beings. Right? It's just too easy for us to move from hating sin into showing contempt for the sinner. And you and I, we are not God and we do not have the right to show contempt to anyone. This is God's command. This is God's law. So I was just thinking, what's happening when I feel contempt for someone? And and this is what I think I've discovered in my own heart. When when I feel contempt, I've forgotten how much I'm saved by grace. I forgot. 
You know, you look out on that group of people and you think, oh, you idiot. You deserve what's coming, right? You, you mock them with your friends or whatever. You forgot. What'd you forget? You forget that you deserve to go to hell. <laughs> That's what you forgot. And you had this sense of like, right? Doesn't it just assume when you feel content, I'm a little better? Doesn't it just assume it? I'm a little better and therefore I have the right Really? Before God? God has shown you grace in giving his son for you, and that has got to murder your contempt. It's got to. Even as we stand for truth, which we must do, of course, of course. But for a Christian, contempt must be replaced with humble compassion. Stand for the truth. Preach the word. Absolutely. Hold fast. Yes. And do it with humble compassion, not with contempt. Check your contempt. For some of us, that's probably, that's probably what we need today. God, forgive me for my contempt for this group of people made in your image. Number two, we'll just keep following Jesus' roadmap. Check your, check your anger. Check your anger. People say sex sells. It does. So does anger. Don't you think society's playing you a little bit? How many voices are trying to make you mad at somebody else? Both sides of the political spectrum need to think about this. A lot of people are making money on how mad we are. And you know, your anger is giving you hints about what you love the most. Showing you what you love. Now, is there such a thing as righteous anger? Absolutely, absolutely. You love God and his ways, you're gonna be angry when he's dishonored. If you're never angry about anything, you don't love anything. Something's wrong with you. There is such a thing as righteous anger. And when people are misled or abused, you should be righteously angry. But here's the thing. Look at Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry. Okay, what does he say? Be angry. Is there, is there a right time to be angry? Yes, but what's the next phrase? And do not sin. Well, there's the trick. Do not let, what? The sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Are we, Satan is here now? Because we're sinful people, there's a shelf life on righteous anger. Anger unresolved is like a carton of milk left out in the sun. My righteous anger, if I hang on to it, meditate on it, ferment in it, indulge it, it turns to unrighteous anger very quickly. Maybe it's the same for you. Before you know it, it's contempt. It's murder from the heart. So you see this wise advice. You're angry even with righteous anger. Don't let the sun go down on that anger. Don't stay angry. You can't stay angry. And some of us walk around with anger smoldering like a deep fire way below the ashes. And you know it's true. Somebody cuts you off on the highway. Your kid nags you co-workers annoying, something, and you snap, ah, right? Fire-breathing dragon. 
And you realize something maybe happens in your head where you think, that was a little overbaked for this particular moment. Keep asking questions. Why am I doing this? There's a lot of reasons, but one of them is you're angry. It's connected with your fears, right? You feel threatened. You feel anger. You're angry with things in society. You feel out of control. You're angry. It's smoldering. And then don't let the sun go down on your anger. Look at your heart. You love something too much. You love something in the wrong way. Most of all, you've forgotten God. You've forgotten God. Is he sovereign, friends? Is he the sovereign king? Can he handle these things? Are you willing to forgive? What groups of people have you not forgiven? What individuals have you not forgiven? Check your anger. That's what Jesus started with there in Matthew 5. Your contempt, your anger. Now the third one, watch your mouth. Look at James chapter three, verse eight. No human being can tame the tongue. Anybody wanna argue this one? Have you checked social media lately? You're right, it's untamable. Comments on YouTube, nope, it's untamable. What I say, untamable. It's the old illustration. How would you like the people you've been talking about to hear the recording of what you've said about them? Have mercy. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. But look at James's logic here. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people, where does he look? Who are made in the likeness of God. Even sinful people are still made in the image of God. And so to bless God on one hand, and then to curse and revile these people, You're cursing and reviling people in his image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You're right, they ought not to be so. Look at Ephesians 4, 29. Here's another law we need Jesus for very badly. There'd be a lot more silence in the world. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths or your thumbs or your fingers. Is it corrupting, like rusting out, contempt? Again, it can't, he can't be saying don't, don't argue against lies. He can't be saying that. He can't be saying don't stand for truth. He can't be saying that. This is the Apostle Paul. We've read what he's written. But there's a way we do it. There's a heart with which we do it. There's a discernment we need to use as we do it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for what? Building up. Even when we critique something or condemn something, the goal ought to be to build up. Only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. You have the right motive and the right time that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace. 
Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Why do we love talking evil about other people? Slander and gossip. Slander, you're saying untruths about other people. Gossip, you might be saying the truth about people unappropriately. Slander and gossip is murder with the mouth. It grieves the Holy Spirit who saves us. It's the opposite of what we should be doing, building people up, giving grace. So we want to set our minds and mouths on bigger ideas than the faults of others. I want to check our mouths. Have mercy. Number four, never take revenge, but respond to evil with good. Look at Romans 12. You ready? Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Again, that's contempt. It's that rage. Even people who persecute you, do not curse them. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. So go ahead and ask yourself right now, how do you tend to get revenge? I didn't ask you if you try to get revenge because I know you do, right? And so how do you tend to do it? Most of us, again, it's with, it's with cutting words, right? So it's with a little bit of contempt. You're getting revenge. Never avenge yourselves. Here's the surprising antidote, verse 19. Leave it to what? The wrath of God. Did you know the doctrine of the wrath of God is your salvation? Helps you love your enemies. Because who, who just said revenge is mine in this text? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You think he's qualified to know what justice is? You think he's qualified strong enough to bring it when and how it should occur? When you get revenge, you're telling God he's no good at his job. And push him out of his seat, sit there yourself for a little bit. You see how prideful that is when we do that? Never get revenge. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. What are you supposed to, what's supposed to do with your perceived enemy? Not vengeance, instead, love. Blessing with your mouth. This is impossible, isn't it? This is just crazy. It goes against everything you want to do naturally in yourself. There's only one way you'd ever lean into this or enjoy it or want it. It's because you've met Jesus and he did this for you. He calls you his brother or sister, even though you were his enemy. He died on the cross for you. He did good for you, even though you were his enemy. Never get revenge. That's all part of this command. So those are the first four things. I got three left, then I'll be done. Number five, as you can, protect the vulnerable. As you can, protect the vulnerable. Instead of endangering life, we want to protect it. 
There's a, tons of implications. I'll just give a few. I think we need to work and speak against evils like abortion. It obviously breaks this command in every way. We pray that it would fall, that hearts would be changed to love and serve the children we conceive. I think of charities we support here at Fountain of Life. Horizon Pregnancy Clinic offers excellent care to moms in that vulnerable place, offering all sorts of resources and support. That's a way to keep the sixth commandment. Love and serve and protect and encourage life God makes. Or Jen Her, a ministry here that serves teen moms in their situation, helping building up those in more difficult situations that keeps this command. Or the special offering we're recommending to you this month, International Justice Mission. You know, it's, it's not hip. You don't hear about this every day. It's not in the newspaper articles, but globally there are more slaves today than ever in history. Did you know that? Slavery exists today all over the world. International Justice Mission does great work to influence justice systems, set slaves free, helps them recover and thrive. You could go on and on. There's a million ways to do this. But if you love this command, you want to protect the vulnerable as you can. You want to protect life, protect those made in the image of God that this world might want to deny or to abuse. Number six, love your church. I'm going to take you back to what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. Remember he said, uh, you've, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And then he says, watch, watch your anger. Your, your words. He finishes his thought like this, Matthew 5, 23. This is confronting. So if you are offering your, guilt, your gift at the altar... And remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. So what he means is if you're on the way to worship God officially and you realize you really sinned against somebody, you ought to pull off on the highway, go find that person, confess, say you're sorry, ask for forgiveness, then go to church. Can you imagine doing that instead of like a greeting time here on Sunday mornings? If you have somebody you need to go uh, confess, sin to, be forgiven, then we'll, then we'll keep worshiping. But have you ever felt it in your mind? You're trying to sing, Jesus, I love you, and then it's kind of like, yeah, I did that. I said that. Look how important this is that we reconcile. It's part of how we keep this command. We reconcile and forgive one another. Reconcile, forgive, love your neighbor. That's part of keeping this command. Or love by serving. Look at 1 John 3. Everyone who hates his brother is a what? Murder. Is he talking literalistically, like physically? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about from the heart, like Jesus was talking about. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So if this is your habit, this is the way you live, you should ask yourself if you're a Christian. Isn't that what he's saying? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down 
We're brothers and sisters. And then here's his application. Specifically in a local church setting, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Right? And so if you think of especially uh, the ancient Near East, the early church, and you can think of somebody who actually doesn't have enough food to eat or shelter in your congregation. And if they didn't have those basic needs and you had some and you're like, no, you're not murdering, but you're kind of murdering. You're saying, I don't care if you starve. I don't care if you're cold. A hard heart. So he says, no, we, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's a way to keep this sixth command, love by serving. And the last one I'll mention just briefly, hey, share the gospel. Share the gospel. How much do you have to hate somebody to not care if they've never heard about what Jesus has done to save them? That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean you just get a bullhorn and yell it at them. No, you want to be winsome. You want to be persuasive. You want to be appropriate. But this command just urges us to care for our neighbor. And the greatest way to care for your neighbor is to tell them about Jesus so they can know his love and forgiveness. Well, in conclusion, it spreads a wyatt net and the sword goes deep. It's a tough command, isn't it? You shall not murder. So we realize what it means. Every single human being is made in the image of God and worthy, dignity, value, protection. So therefore, if we love God, we will want to Never have any malice or negligence to harm someone made in the image of God, but rather to edify them, to protect them, to value them. And as we see how we have not done that, we look to Jesus, the one who fulfilled the law, the one who saves us. And then because of him and what he's done, we want to move towards obeying this command. We want to lean into it. So church, let's, as we pray, Ask the Lord one way he wants you to lean into this, that you might serve and bless those made in the image of God because you honor this God who's loved you so much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with uh, challenged hearts. Uh, Your word elbows us exposes us. So Lord, we just pray for humility. Um, We can come to you safely because of Jesus. We look to him. We look to his life, his death, his resurrection for us. In him, we thank you for that promise. We're forgiven. We're counted righteous. It's okay. We're loved. We're safe. We're welcomed. But then, Lord, as we value him and what he's done, Lord, we want to hear your word and we want, to, we want to live it out. So help us, Lord, check our own contempt, our anger, our mouths, our revenge. Lord, help us live to value and protect others, love our neighbor as we can, Lord. Help us especially to love one another so that you might be glorified, so that we might have the joy, Lord, and freedom 
of being loved by you, living in your love, knowing that you can carry the weight. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.